welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's got gold cup fever. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Something like that, I guess. So that's what we're going to talk about at the top yeah. of this show. So the Gold Cup is underway. Uh-huh. It's been going for two or three days now. It has. Um, the US gets going on, uh, what, Tuesday night, first group stage game against Guyana. The Gold Cup is about to begin. Is Gold Cup fever a thing where you're really excited? Or is Gold Cup fever um, a disease where, where you're mad at the United States men's national team? I think Gold Cup fever is representative of how I deal with most illnesses, which is uh, don't think about it until it becomes too big of an issue. Because, uh, yeah, I can't claim to have Gold Cup fever while not really having paid attention to the results thus far. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Do, you, do you have Gold Cup fever for the U.S.? No. No. <laughs> Why not? I mean, you know why. It has not been the most fun time to be a fan of the U.S. men's national team. Uh, I think some of the injuries coming into this tournament and the recent friendly results have made it difficult to be particularly excited about this coming iteration of the Gold Cup. Okay. So let's maybe – let's start big picture Mm -hmm. and we'll frame this as how are we approaching the Gold Cup. I would agree that the recent friendly results – like maybe don't help to raise the enthusiasm mm-hmm. level. Um, but I also think this is a big moment yeah. and it's worth paying attention for that reason because, in my opinion, this Gold Cup is the first proper test of Greg Berhalter's principle of play, his style of playing with the US men's national team, his style of coaching, which gets into a lot of details that we're still not sure if we need or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll really know, maybe not after Guyana, but after the Gold Cup, we'll know is this can this thing be successful with the national team or not? Forgive me already, but I have a question to yeah. clarify there. You said it's worth paying attention to this Gold Cup, this yeah. US team. Are you concerned that people aren't going to be paying attention? I, I think there's probably a segment of fans out there who might be like, I do not like mm-hmm. this US men's national team. I'm not even going to watch. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. That makes sense. And right. I think that's probably the case because I think there are people who already had frustrations about USA going back to failure to qualify in 2017 and then yeah. the way it's been since then, these friendlies didn't help. So I think, yeah, you've probably got a sizable contingent of people mm-hmm. who maybe won't necessarily be paying as much attention. Or maybe worse, people might be hate watching like mm. I did with Westworld. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, th- I don't yeah. think that's a good way to approach watching the U.S. men's national team. I agree. So maybe we should think about that. Like maybe what's the way that – well, how are we going to watch mm. it, you and I? Maybe we, maybe maybe you and I are going to watch it differently in the same room? Uh, I am, I am uh, to, your, to that end, I am actively trying to reset my fandom of the U.S. men's national team. That okay. is kind of my goal for the Gold Cup because I do think that with this roster, there are reasons – people probably have reasons to not like pretty much every single player on it. I think there have been <laughs> arguments to be made about or have been made about every single player that like you and I are – St. Christian Pulisic? I mean, yeah, not necessarily criticism, but with him more so. I mean, there have been injury concerns and why hasn't he been around more? And Yeah, why didn't he play uh, in those two friendlies? Exactly. But yeah. then also, should he be a 10? Should he be a wide player? So not even necessarily criticisms, but there's a lot of like debate and questioning around this team. And I think if you kind of start following those, pulling those threads, it becomes really difficult to watch this team because instead it's just you're constantly wondering, is this the right one? Is this the best we have? Why isn't he doing this? And it ends up being not fun. And, I, and the idea of hate watching a tournament because the team is so frustrating is not a thing I have any interest in doing because I also think it's not particularly constructive. So yeah, my fair. goal for this competition is sort of to to reset and look at this as like, look, this is Burhalter's first like official competition. He's had time to prepare, so it should be... He has, right? He's had mm-hmm. two weeks or more in camp. Like the friendlies yeah. 
were frustrating, but they were part of the camp where stuff was going on. Mm-hmm. That's how long that this group has been together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it should be a team that looks more cohesive, more understanding of what's being asked of them. And I would add that this is not just me sort of putting on like like rose-tinted glasses or whatever. Like I will absolutely be critical of them, and if it does not go well and the team continues to not look like they know what they're doing, then I'm going to be really frustrated at the end of it. So it sounds like we've, we're basically in the same place, right? Because I'm, like, I'm sort of maybe more excited for the tournament based on conversations we've had off mm-hmm. air. But I'm withholding judgment until we see what happens in the tournament and how the US plays. Um, and maybe your, re- your fandom reset eventually gets you to the same place where you're think, just like, yeah. you're not going in biased one way or the other. You're going to be like, all right, Robert Helter, US men's national team, show me what you got. Uh, to be honest, I am not excited. So okay. I think that's the difference is that I think you have more optimism. You put out those tweets about like, here's some things I'm excited to yeah. see. I drink and more I, coffee. So. And I read, <laughs> I read those and I was like, oh, that's great, Daryl. But like, <laughs> like for me, it still was, it still was on some of them a bit of a reach, at least for me right now, to be like, yeah, that's a thing that's going to be fun. Instead, I'm trying to approach this as like, I don't want my frustration with Paul Areola from the last game to prevent me from being able to watch him and see like, oh yeah, but he does do this and he does do that and there yeah, is yeah. this. And I think that's what I would like to be able to do is try to like not have some of the baggage that I feel like I'm bringing with me to this competition. Yeah. So I hope to get to your level of enthusiasm. <laughs> Just not quite there right now. Do you mind if I share my reasons why I was kind of excited for this tournament or at least reasons for optimism? Have at it. And I will say a lot of these reasons, as I'm about to list them from mm-hmm. memory, um, is push back against the idea of like, Oh, Pomacal should be there, even though we just played at the U21 mm-hmm. company. Can't be like Sergeant should be there. Where should be there? We want the youth. When, if you look at it, it's Christian Pulisic's first international tournament as a starter, right? Yeah. He went to Copa America Centenary 2016, but Klinsman just brought him off the bench for 20 minutes here or there. He obviously didn't get to World Cup 2018 because none of us did. Um, so, this is the first time you're going to see Pulisic, like, as the main guy going into a tournament representing the United States. Mm-hmm. That is exciting to me. Um, it's also Weston McKenney's first tournament. It'll be his 10th cap if he starts against Guyana. Mm-hmm. So, he has so far um, not reproduced what we, uh, apart from his first game where we scored mm-hmm. against Portugal, we haven't seen like the good moments we've seen from Schalke replicated for the US men's national team. But I'm excited that that could happen um, at the Gold Cup. McKenney in a tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so Pulisic and McKenney in tournament. Pulisic and McKenney, we, a fit Josie Altador. Sorry. What, what I was just going to say, we should clarify, because this is something I didn't know until like maybe the beginning of this week or last week, uh, about Timothy Weah, which is that we've kind of had this idea that uh, he wasn't included in the Gold Cup roster, or the provisional yeah. roster, and that that was Berhalter like, excluding him. Then he ends up playing in the U20 World Cup. It sounds like uh, Matt Doyle wrote about this in his kind of U20 recap, uh, and then I asked him about it, and he confirmed that I think Timothy Weah chose to play with the U20s. He yeah. wanted to play in a U20 World Cup. Which he wanted to play in a World Cup. Interesting choice, right? That's To me, that's a bit of shade at the Gold Cup. Uh, see, I kind of love it because I, yeah. I do think it's Timothy Weah being like, I want to play at any World Cup and every World Cup possible. Yeah. And this is a World Cup and I could potentially go and win something and be a senior figure and leader, which is what I do think he became by the end of it. So I kind of like it, even if I'm sad he's not there. But I just wanted to add, because we, I think, missed that, to be totally honest. Yeah. And so kind of the we way we... assumed that maybe Bear didn't rate him or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And so I just want to throw that out there because I know there are people who are like as an example like oh it's Paul Ariola and it should be Timothy Weah and it's like well in reality Timothy Weah didn't think it should be Timothy Weah so there we are <laughs> okay quick sidebar mm-hmm. conversation in terms of Weah's career progression mm-hmm. do you think he made the right choice like for example well I guess what I'm asking is is the U20 World Cup a better showcase for Weah than the Gold Cup yes 
Why so? I think I agree, but I'm interested in your reasons why. Uh, number one, because the U20 World Cup's already happened. So, so like, so I mean, we so like you, you transferred on earlier. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, a little, <laughs> that little bit came in, right? A little Apparently. bit, yeah. a little bit. They, that you can kind of get it done. People can see you, but then you still get the rest. Yeah, but I think also it's not even June by the time it's over. Nope. But also, oh, no, I think was, because sorry. he's being allowed. To, to to be in an attacking role, probably with a little bit less, like yeah. okay, tuck inside at this point, and when this happens, then this happens, then you need to be here, and it's more just kind of go be an attacking force, and again, a leader on that team. Because he could have gone to the Gold Cup and just mm-hmm. played half an hour here, yep. half an hour there, kind of like Pulisic in twenty sixteen. Yeah, yeah. You, you're right. U twenty World Cup, he's the Tim Ware. I mean, think, think about when he scores the goal against Ecuador, and he pulls everybody over, and he gets the huddle, and there's the conversation, and you yeah, can yeah. tell that he's kind of picking people up. Does he do that with the national team? Maybe, but maybe not as much. Yeah, and yeah. then if you're Leo. To be the one that calls the circle over. No, and I'm, and like and not for I, at least another two years. Probably not. And I know <laughs> that I'm like like taking this to an extreme example because I'm sure Leal didn't watch that and be like, "That's the guy we want." Yeah, yeah. But there's a chance they did, yeah. and I think that's why I say it's good that he's already played. But I also say it because the. I'm hoping the Gold Cup works, but there's also a chance that maybe the Gold Cup doesn't go well, uh-huh. and he avoided that and instead kind of <laughs> increased his stock, similar to Paxton Pomacol. All right, so get us back to the Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. Here's my essential argument for the reasons to be excited is we all want the next generation of men's national team players to be playing after the failure of 2017, yep. right? And I think in a lot of people's heads, that's Weyer and Sargent. So maybe it's like Shijino Des starting at right back for the senior team. Yep. But in reality, the next guys up are McKenney. Pulisic and Tyler Adams who would have been there but had to pull out yep. through injury so this actually is the next gen- gen- generation of players mm-hmm. getting their start in a tournament right there's it's just true. a whole other generation coming in behind them this I think I'm nodding. preaching maybe a bit of patience mm-hmm. right let's get this generation through before we uh, bring the next generation in or at least get excited for this generation don't think of Pulisic and McKenney as old hat already mm-hmm. the guys are only 20 21 years old yeah but I think also when you tend to list the players that you've just listed you stop with like the four names you've said basically yeah and I think that again Jonathan Gonzalez chose poorly there's that but it's also <laughs> I think it, would he be in that generation or would he be the one behind them no, he's like 20-ish, right. right? 20, 21. Yeah. yeah. So, but I, I think what I mean to say, though, is again with the reset that like there are other players in that age age range who I think we tend to look as like, oh, it's Pulisic, McKinney, Adams. That's who we should be focusing on. And that's like that. But there's other players of that age range who like, I think because they don't quite resonate the way those three names do, we tend to overlook and then we want to see the younger guys come through. But yeah, maybe yeah. it's an opportunity to look at the players that we do have in this squad a bit more in yeah. depth and see, oh, they can do this. I didn't see them do that before. Or, oh, they really cannot do that. And uh-huh. we need somebody who can. And I would include in the new generation of players, like a bit older than Pulisic and McKinney, but Zach Steffen is mm-hmm. now the starting keeper it used to be Tim Howard yep. right or Brad Gazan now it's it's Zach Steffen is our starting keeper this mm-hmm. is his first tournament mm-hmm. as a, an officially a Manchester City player yes Tyler Boyd is coming in he's mm-hmm. only 24 we've seen not enough of him I think what we've seen there's glimpses of like oh this could be exciting mm-hmm. right this is raw pace and trickery and looks like some decent crossing coming in from the right wing. That could be, like, I'm more excited for the potential of that could be thrilling. I, and, and that I could guess, be a serious weapon for us going mm-hmm. forward. And this is where I will be maybe more of a downer than you're, yeah, yeah. you're being. But, like, that's a lot, as you've already said, that's a lot of could. And, yeah. I, and I think we've done that so many times with so many players. Not we necessarily, but, like, we as a collective fan group yeah. have been like, oh, it's going to be this guy. Oh, it's going to be this guy. This guy could do that. Oh, he's been playing there. I don't know anything about him. And Bobby Warshaw and I talked about this, and I do agree with him, that, like, we get so excited about young players who maybe we don't quite know yeah, yeah. or new players who we don't quite know. Oh, that's fair. That that's where, like, I am with this reset. I'm I'm not necessarily approaching it with just, like, 
and therefore Tyler Boyd's going to be great. I'm really excited to see him. It's yeah. more of like, well, I hope he does well, and I'm going to be watching to see how he performs. Yeah, and you know, so I, use, I think mm-hmm. I, we don't have time to listen back and check, but I think I use the word could. As yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, I'm not guaranteeing that Boyd's going to light up the Gold Cup, but there's the potential for him to do something really excited, and I'm excited for that possibility. Yeah. But we're, I think this is otherwise. This is, what's the point of getting up in the morning? This is the nuance of the situation. That was what I'm saying. Is like you're seeing could as he could be the best player on the team, and I'm seeing it as like he could be a good player. We'll see what happens. Like that's yeah, yeah. that's kind of how I, I want to approach this as more of a like because I also think that's part of why I'm probably more bummed out than you are is that I think I've put I really bought into Burhalter after that January camp it felt like players have bought in everybody's into it Nick Lima can do this then we know Tyler Adams or maybe even DeAndre Edlin can do it and and I think that I kind of after the failure in 2017 the bummer of a year when there was no coach to get Burhalter in it felt like people were responding I mean that's fine uh He fired a few of them himself. Um, I think that, like, I sort of bought in and was maybe even more excited about the team. And so then when things kind of crashed back down to these last two friendlies, I think it was a reminder of, like, measured optimism is the way to go here. Okay, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with Mm -hmm. that. I think here's another, like, argument I would make for fans to not be too down going in, though, is remember, those friendlies... Uh, like there's a recency bias with those two friendlies, yeah. right? Prior to that, we'd beaten Panama B and Costa Rica B, mm-hmm. like f- fair. Ecuador, I think, was a good performance. We beat Ecuador. Uh, we just rewatched highlights of Chile, the draw with Chile. They definitely found all kinds of space in the second half and forced us to eventually drop back into a five-four-one mm-hmm. to defend for our lives. But we got a one-one draw with Chile, and in the in what the fourth minute, there's a ball where Zades comes and receives mm-hmm. it and turns and plays through Christian Pulisic running in on goal and scoring against Chile. Right. Mm-hmm. So there have been moments where this whole Berhalter style of play with personnel like Pulisic has looked like it's working, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think let's not overly focus on the Jamaica and Venezuela performances and results, like rough as they were, as the like that's where the team is at. No. Is that fair? I, I think so. I might I be mean, too lenient on that, but I, I do think there's a recency bias where we overinterpret those recent results. I, I genuinely think you are being too lenient, if okay. I'm being totally honest. I think that you're, you're focusing on like individual moments, whereas those two games were collectively very poor in my mind. And again, that's where I'm... I, again, the the furthest I'm I mean, willing to I go no is to be like... I good individual moments to focus on in those games. Yeah, I know. So, but I've, and so I feel like my my... Feeling is more of a like, let's see if those are outliers as they're building towards something yeah. or more indicative of the state of the squad and the team right now. Fair. And then again, we'll, we'll kind of know where we are at the end of this competition. Okay, so can we like lay down some markers of what we're looking for in the Gold Cup? Sure. Maybe not the Guiana game. We'll get specifically into the Guiana mm-hmm. game maybe later on. But it, like, when this whole Gold Cup is over... What do we want to have seen from the U.S. men's national team? Sure. I'll start in the very back. You mentioned Zach Steffen as kind of cementing himself as the number one. Yeah. And this is where I say, as I said earlier, that like with every single player, there are these moments of like, ooh, but like you'll see the debate of should it be Bill Hamid? Why isn't it Ethan Horvath? He's been performing. Yeah, yeah. And Steffen. That's what DC fans say and then Euro snubs say. Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> but there, like Steffen has had moments where he did okay. But yeah. he hasn't had like truly had those moments where he's been forced into making these big saves and had to kind of rise to the occasion. And so I think because of that, and then he has some of the individual passing mistakes. There have just been moments yeah, one of like against Ooh. Jamaica that didn't cost a goal, one yeah. against Venezuela that absolutely did yes. cost us a yes. goal. So maybe that's the thing to look for through the tournament is Zach Steffen to not do that again, yeah. please. But yeah, and in terms of <laughs> what I want to see coming out of this tournament, I want to. I don't want to have any lingering doubts. Not necessarily that I do. Oh, you want to be like, okay, Zach's the man. Yep. He's the number one. I'm good going forward. Exactly. Because yeah, yeah. I think at the end of the day i'm a person who prefers a plan i know you are too but like i I like a plan and i like knowing that there are like foundations in place that like we always could generally speaking say like for the last like 
eight whatever years, like Tim Howard's the goalie. Tim Howard's our number one. We know yeah, that. Yeah. And that's – there is some sort of like – calming feeling to like okay we know at least that much and even yeah. if they're like center backs in front of him are rotating to have that little le- level of stability is a thing that I prioritize yep. so I would love to be able to come out of this and be like yeah Zach Steffen's distribution was great he had that one amazing save in the semifinal or that one amazing save in the final and like we can kind of focus on those positives so that's one thing I would like to see coming out of this competition. Ooh, can we trade back and forth any things we'd like to see? I would like to see evidence that having Pulisic and McKenney as the two number 10s actually works. Because mm-hmm. so far, it's a little thin, right? It's the Pulisic goal against Chile. There's no McKenney performance in that sort of mm-hmm. eight slash, because eight when defending, 10 when attacking role, that really suggests that this is the perfect spot for mm-hmm. him, right? And I'm convinced maybe he should be a little farther back. Bobby Walsh, I think he should play right back in the Nicolino <laughs> yeah. role, right? I don't even disagree. I think that might be worth an experiment. But Berhalter's committed to McKenney as the eight slash 10. I want to see that that is working. I want to see that when the so the system is what the usually the wingers pull wide, hopefully open up space from Pulisic and McKenny to mine sort of attacking seams. Mm-hmm. I want to see that happen throughout the Gold Cup in a way that makes me think, yeah, this is a good idea. All I think right. I want to know that this is the plan and it put, and it and it works. Okay, is is there one thing that you think will be a sign that it is working? Like, is there a way to track that? Do you think? I mean, it, I think in Pulisic, it'll be attacking uh-huh. moments, right? Yeah. You'll definitely, um, if the space is opened up and he's able to exploit it, then I will f- then feel comfortable that like left of center seam mm-hmm. is where Pulisic should be operating. And we can end the, should he be a winger? Should he be a number 10 uh, debate? And I think mm-hmm. a lot will depend on, as soon as Ariola is the left winger, a lot will depend on the relationship that Pulisic and Ariola, the understanding mm-hmm. that Pulisic and Ariola build up, right? Because some of it will involve switching from what I've heard Behelter say. Some of it is, Ariola will come inside and Pulisic will go wide and maybe they lose their markers along the way or at least confuse them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that depends on an understanding, right? And we've seen, I can't remember the game, I think it was Chile, um, McKenney and Morris, on, like McKenney centre-right, Morris wide-right, and they were totally confused about when to switch and when to go to the point where they had to go and talk to Greg Berhalter about what the plan was. Was, that, see- was that Chile or was that more recently? Um, it was definitely in the Marsh friendlies. Okay. Uh, yeah, but if we see Pulisic and Ariola doing that, I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. If we see them seamlessly like switching and attacking and confusing um, opponents, then we'll know that that left side kind of works. All right. Uh, yeah. I- I'm going to extend it further then, and I'm gonna, since you brought that up, I'm going to say another thing I would like to see coming out of this competition is fewer of those moments. Because Which ones? Because it's telling to me of the players clearly not understanding yeah, and yeah. trying to figure it out. We saw it, The reason why it's telling to me is because I had to ask, like, wait, which game? Because we saw that with, I think, Sargent and Roldan in the very beginning of the Venezuela game. You yep. could see them both really not understanding who was supposed to do what and when. And I do feel like we've seen that more and more lately, at least, yep. is players trying to figure it out on the fly. Now, that's always the thing that's going to happen because you have an opponent who is a living opponent. They're going to be adjusting to what you're doing. They're not static. Yeah. So there should be moments where you're trying to figure it out and you see the two players come together and they're kind of discussing it. But you can tell when those two players are trying to figure it out, when it's like, okay, this left back is doing this, so can we exploit that? What do you think? Yes, Versus that's the like, difference, right? where do I run? Then yes. it's a little bit more disconcerting. Because it, it seemed like that McKenney-Morris conversation was more like, what are we supposed to be doing? Yeah. What has Greg been telling mm-hmm. us to do? Versus how do we beat this yep. guy? Yeah. Oh, I've noticed that this guy like does this. Let's do this. Yeah, we thought he'd be standing like five yards further out wide. Yeah. Instead, he's staying more central. So how do we either pull him out or exploit uh-huh. that lack of width? Like, we want problem solving. Yes. We don't want what are we supposed Head scratching. Head yeah. scratching. Yes. Speaking of, I feel like we have to talk about this. Uh, the USMNT Twitter account. Yeah, that doesn't help. 
tweeted today a photo um, of it's at the training ground. Mm-hmm. It's Bellhalter with um, essentially a, a board. We call it a board. Yeah. Um, it's the, you only see the back of the board, so they won't show us what's on it. I understand. Delivery. I understand why you're confused by that. Is there a different there's a name for it? Like an easel type thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. It's just hilarious to me that like, like anybody listening is like he didn't know the word for board. I'm from foreign. <laughs> I'm from foreign. I know. It's cultural. Um, okay. So the photos yeah. from behind. So you don't see what's on the board. You, but you see all the faces of all the players listening to Greg Bellhalter explain what's and they on all the look board. Totally dialed in. I looked at every single face, and they—they all look mm-hmm. a little bit like either bored or confused or something. I'm really hoping maybe the sun was bright mm-hmm. behind them and they're squinting. That would maybe explain it. Yeah, I also though wonder maybe. if maybe partially that's our feelings bleeding into it because I sent that photo to my wife and she was like, most of them just seem like they're really intently listening. Okay, and so and then and then I tried to see the picture from that perspective, and it is true that there's a, okay. there's more than a few that I thought maybe. were sort of like uh, that are now like oh no, they're kind of listening. And Bell's not a low talker, so it's uh-uh. not as if they're just trying to listen. No, he don't, you can definitely see him being <laughs> vocal in that image. But that said, there are definitely a few faces that maybe it's the sun, maybe it's the awareness that the camera's on them. Weston McKinney is definitely pulling a face but I think it's because he's, he's looking at he's the looking photographer at the camera. I kind yes. of love him for that he's yeah. the only one who spotted the photographer and stared straight down the lens but in a sort of like Go on, why are you taking our photo now yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, I will slide tackle yeah. you so but <laughs> that's not it's not a good optics though at the end of the day it still is yeah. players not looking like why not wait for the like when that huddle breaks and they're all clapping and look enthusiastic at least to, yeah. to take that photo? I, I don't know who runs the mm-hmm. social media account for Twitter. I did see um, Bund Americans, which is a, a good Twitter account, tweeted that maybe some questions should be asked about what's being posted because yeah. the before the recent not so recent unpleasantness yeah. in October 2017, they tweeted the, the se- stuff, semi-recent is what we're going to go the with. The semi-recent now. Yes. unpleasantness. They tweeted the stuff of US players being carried over the water, which yeah. looks terrible in hindsight, and apparently yep. enraged Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this on the eve of the Gold Cup, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe this isn't a good look. Maybe not yeah. so much. Maybe, maybe we're focusing on the wrong things here. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Maybe, so, so we want to see better social media postings. Is we what you're do. Saying. Gotcha. Maybe we should be focusing on today's advertiser. Let's do that All instead. Right. Let's talk about today's <laughs> advertiser, SeatGeek. Um, the show is sponsored by SeatGeek. The ticket industry has not changed in a long time. There are a bunch of big companies who've been around around forever but don't really forever. care about making Since before the dawn of time yeah exactly back <laughs> before the dawn of time you could somehow still get tickets online uh, i don't know how that worked to tickets to dinosaur fights is that not what the big bang was it was just like there's a loud explosion and then yeah. suddenly you could buy tickets no you had to stay sell tickets for the big bang oh, okay there it is go watch it <laughs> i didn't know that i feel like i would watch that if i could um yes but SeatGeek does make it uh much much easier and you can tell that people agree they have over fifty thousand five-star reviews 50,000? that's a lot i want that many for the total soccer you show get on it listeners yeah. You guys are slacking compared to the SeatGeek users. <laughs> Although I suppose more people are probably using SeatGeek because you can use it for any type of event. Yes. Well, I guess this, you can only use it for listening to soccer stuff. Pretty much. That <laughs> yeah. is correct. That is correct. <laughs> There's also the sort of guarantee, mm-hmm. not sort of guarantee, actual guarantee, yep. that when you buy a ticket through SeatGeek, it's the, the genuine article, yep. the real McCoy. Mm-hmm. It is the not McCoy. It is not a shady ticket. Mm-mm. It is a proper, proper ticket that's getting you into the thing you're going to. So if Daryl is making you slightly more excited about the Gold Cup, either for the U.S. or for the other teams that are playing and looking good right now, yeah. uh, you could use SeatGeek to get tickets to any of the many, many games that are going to be happening. Okay, yeah. Um, you could are do that. All listed on there, yeah. If you maybe want to step away from soccer for a moment, maybe you've been watching a lot of the Women's World Cup, you've been watching some Gold Cup, you need a break in the evening, uh, you could go see The War and Treaty, which is a band that uh, my wife and I went and saw when they were here in Richmond, The War and Treaty. What sort of band are they? Uh, I would say there's like a combination of like soul with a little bit of like gospel thrown in, but then a little bit of like 
old school like uh like James Brown esque like hype up like 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 music. It's it's very 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 good. One question: Why wasn't I invited to the show? Uh, I believe it was a post chemo oh, okay. uh, uh, sort of evening. Yes. That's your excuse for everything. <laughs> I think it was a Friday night, and you had, had chemo on the Thursday. And I think oh. I had texted you to see how you were doing, and you were not well. Okay. So, yes. yes. There right. you go. <laughs> Maybe I'll just listen to War and Treaty yes. on uh, a music streaming service. Yes. It is also my understanding that when you're having chemo, it's not great to be in a la- large crowd of uh, drunk people. Yes. This is not ideal. I mean, they they didn't recommend or not recommend either way, but <laughs> I would guess not. But yes, if they come back to town, you <laughs> should go see them. And if they're coming to your town, you should go see them, and you should use SeatGeek to look for tickets because what? SeatGeek makes it easy to get those tickets. And what if I wanted to see War and Treaty or uh-huh. I wanted to see the Gold Cup, but every, all the prices were like $10 too high? Mm-hmm. Then... You could luckily yeah. use the T- Total Soccer Show discount code. The promo code is TSS for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Yay. Use that for concert tickets, uh, sports, uh, live theater, comedy, any sort of event you can. I tried to list them without looking at, at the copy. I think I did okay. <laughs> uh, but remember, it's code TSS for $10 off your first purchase. And remember, SeatGeek supports us. I mean, you've heard them on the show every week for forever, mm-hmm. right? They really support us. So it's great if you support SeatGeek because it, you know, it helps the Total Soccer Show keep on going it certainly does yeah. so thank you to seat geek for sponsoring today's episode let's talk a few more like big picture things we'd like to see okay if you so, don't mind um how about uh i believe we- it's my turn sir oh, oh excuse me oh, wait no maybe it's not i can't remember no i said i wanted to see less indecision and frustrated conversations well, i'll be honest i was going to talk about the the dwayne holmes switch for georgie mihailovich ah. but i don't know if that counts as a big picture if let's that's too detailed about let's get roster. let's get to it okay because dwayne holmes was one of the excitement drivers mm-hmm. of the gold cup after those 30 minute cameos against jamaica and venezuela where Honestly, the U.S. played better after he came on. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought, ooh, yep. this, this could be a thing. Like, if McKenney's not doing it, then McKenney comes in and we've got a Pulisic-Holmes thing mm-hmm. happening. The okay, news is... Can I jump in yeah. real, real quick just to add? I think what really made it stand out for me, because I don't want to, like, overemphasize, a f- like, a few second-half substitutions, but it was the way that he seemed very focused on trying to help the United States create something at a time when they weren't very necessarily doing that. Yeah. But it wasn't him being overly elaborate or trying too much. No, it was it pass was, and sprint. And simple touches and simple passes, and that was what I really loved about him. And I know we already talked about this on the show once, but raising the bar. Yep. Like, the ball he played into Roldan and Roldan yep. miscontrolled it. He looked super disappointed yep. and gesticulated at Roldan. Like, that's not good enough. You should control that. Yeah. I want a play like that mm-hmm. on the team, raising the standard all the time. Yeah, it's what you need. Yeah, But his quads, his quads hurt. Stupid quads. Yeah, so apparently, I mean, we knew this because we watched the championship player final. Holmes was injured towards the end of the season. He came into camp, it seems, maybe having just recovered. And in hindsight, the reason he didn't start either of those games, only played 30 minutes each time, they're probably trying to make sure they don't damage his quads again. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the way, quads are like your... Your thigh, basically, right? Yes. The muscles in your thigh. Front yeah. thigh. Front thigh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Reverse hamstring. Yes. <laughs> but then... Kind of how I understand it, yes. It seems like he wasn't fully recovered, and it mm-hmm. sounds like something happened in practice. Holmes is injured. So it means when we play Costa Rica, there can't be a Holmes and Watson joke that I can make. <laughs> Holmes and Waston, I guess, which doesn't quite work. No. <laughs> um, instead, Georgie Mihailovic it's, has been It's called... great that you think that would have been a joke in the first place. <laughs> um, instead, Georgie Mihailovic has been called up from the 40-man preliminary roster to replace Dwayne Holmes. 
this kind of hurts after Mihailovic's performance against Jamaica, where yep. he really was part of the US getting bullied. He was the one that couldn't stand up to it yep. in central midfield. And then I do know what in the Open Cup, mm-hmm. he swore at some traveling Chicago Fire fans. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He did issue a public apology about that one, but still not the best month for him. Uh, not the best look either. It says to me that the performance against Jamaica and what he said to those fans, fans of his team, yep. which, like, you know, has famously has some getting supporters to games problems anyway mm-hmm. um it suggests a lack of maturity still and a lack uh-huh. of maturity that says to me this guy really talented as he is he's not quite ready for the the big stage of international football so let me ask you this then because yeah. you have been slightly more well, significantly more positive than i've been so far about yeah. this team um so i don't want you to feel like that's then an obligation but my question then becomes so if Dwayne Holmes can't play, and we know Dwayne Holmes was probably a replacement for Sebastian Legette, uh, so but if Dwayne oh, Holmes also injured, yeah. yeah. So then the idea that uh, Greg Berhalter turns to George Mihailovic again is that a positive because he's sort of looking at this young player and giving him another opportunity and like kind of giving him a chance to prove himself, or is it more of a negative in that it feels like it's Berhalter basically just saying, well, he's the next one in line, so he's the one who gets called up regardless of performance? It fit, to me, it feels like a negative in the, the regard you just mentioned yeah. because the other option, I went and looked at the 40-man mm-hmm. preliminary list that he'd be pulling from. The other option would have been Darlington Nagby, right, who's a guy who I think could play that yeah. sort of McKenney role. Maybe not, doesn't offer the defensive bite, but definitely in possession, it's a guy who's... Definitely going to offer something I mean, special. Does Mihailovic offer the defensive bite? Well, well no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would argue Nagby offers more going forward. Yeah. The thing that worries me slightly is I think Mihailovic gets the nod because he was there in January in the camp. And because Behelter is, um, I think, correctly very focused on right principles of play, learning the system, progressing, we're making progress, we're learning, we're learning, we're learning. But then, then prevents you maybe calling up the best players for the job because you're more, I guess, biased toward the players who've already been in camp and sort of done the foundation course, right? Mm. I think, and Nagby couldn't attend the foundation course because Atlanta were in early preseason for CONCACAF Champions League games, Mm -hmm. right? That's why Nagby wasn't there. I remember that being the the reason at the time. So I feel like, yeah, that worries me a little bit because then... Because now Nagby's missing the Gold Cup as well. So just not being there in January keeps putting him farther and farther back. And we keep getting preferential selection treatment for guys who were there in January. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So then I think I'm with you that, like, I see Mihailovic coming in as maybe a chance for him to show that he can do it, that that performance was like a one-off sort of situation. could be wrong, right? It could be a huge bounce back and all the talent Mihailovic has got, he gets to express it like as a late replacement, like a... Last 20 minutes sub for Christian Pulisic, and he yeah. can play that role. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but I also think that, say, he comes in and we see roughly more of the same. We see him get knocked off the ball a little bit. We see him take a few extra touches. Then I think, again, going back to, like, I want to come out of this tournament having some answers, I want to be able to say, like, Mihailovic isn't ready right now. And, yeah. I, and I feel fairly confident that that's the case right now. But, again, those are friendlies when the rest of the team also looked very poor. Yeah, true. So maybe if we see a few performances here and he does turn it around and suddenly he lights it up and can play on the half turn and can play quickly and can do all those things, then we feel a little bit more optimistic. But if it's getting dispossessed and being a little bit slower, then I am comfortable coming out of this tournament and saying, like, yeah, he's not quite there yet. I'd yeah. rather see other players called in ahead of him. Because, again, for me, it's about establishing a baseline that then coming out of this competition we can say, ooh, well, He's still calling in Mihailovic and not Nagby, or he's still yeah. calling in this player. This clearly didn't work, but he's persisting in that. Then the concern either strong, like gets bigger or gets like less so, yep. depending on what happens. And just so people know, I think this is not important for today, but important for the future. Coming out of this tournament, we will have um, friendlies in September, yeah. two friendlies in September, and then CONCACAF Nations League 
um, October and November, where at the very least, whatever you think of the CONCACAF Nations League, points are on the line. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. So there'll be a chance for to like maybe bring in some fresh players like Sergeant and Weyer September, get them ready in the Bearhalter system, learn the learn the ropes, this and that. Then October, November, we're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mihailovic yeah. has a chance to maybe be in on that. Or not being on that, depending mm-hmm. on what happens. Yeah. All right, anything else that you're looking for from this tournament? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a few a few that are similar to that, similar like Paul Areola. Like he just had such a bad game against Venezuela that he was one who I felt like, yeah, he's a guy who's going to be in there and in that conversation, and yeah. he'll be able to pop up and score in big moments. That wasn't quite the case against Venezuela. So what I'd rather see from him is more so. Maybe this goes against some of the things I've already said, but I think he's earned a little bit of, of credit or leeway thus far. I want to know if he is our like starting left winger, at least for the time being. Like, yeah. Is he the one who has sort of laid claim to that position until somebody really can come in and consistently challenge him? Tim Weir. Yeah. So I honestly think an ideal scenario is Ariola has a magnificent goal cut. Yep. And then we set up in September, it's Ariola versus Weir. Or yeah. it's, you know, Ariola switching with Weir. Yeah. Who knows? It could be Jonathan Lewis by mm-hmm. then because he's on this roster. It might could be. But that's <laughs> it's exactly that. I, I want to be able to say with some level of confidence, like, yes, it's Paul Ariola. Like and and I don't want it to be and like I wife. guess it's for him for right now. Like yeah. I don't want it any more for right now. As I would like it yeah. to be like Paul Ariola until Timothy Weah or Jonathan Amen or Jonathan Lewis or whomever else comes in and stinks <laughs> or like challenges him for that spot. I would like mm-hmm. coming out of this tournament a better understanding of who our right back is and what they're doing. Okay. Yeah. Um, I kind of I mentioned, we were on Extra Time Radio earlier today I, I don't disagree with that. that that okay was more so like I'm excited to hear you explain which of the many possible things <laughs> you mean by that so I have a theory yeah. I've already shared this on Extra Time Radio so people may have heard this already that the soccer gods are nudging Greg Berhalter and saying Nick Lima is your right back <laughs> Tyler Adams should play midfield yeah. Nick Lima is your right back mm-hmm. um, that happened with the performance in January the performances in January from Nick Lima which were excellent right he was maybe the standout performer um, from those two friendlies and then the fact that Adams was supposed to start this with Lima as the backup and then Adams gets injured. Mm. Uh, Nick Lima, yep. um, I think, uh, could establish himself as the starting right back. And then in my head, we had this conversation before, right? In my head, the role of the right back under Greg Berhalter is you, once we advance like past the halfway line in attack, yep. you move from right back and you join the deepest midfielder, probably Michael Bradley, to form a midfield two so that you can either be involved in the attack or when the ball's turned over, you win the ball back reasonably high up the field, right? Mm. I think Lima's capable of doing all those things successfully. Um, Or there's this new wrinkle that we saw against Venezuela where Nick Lima will instead be a more traditional vertical right back and he will go bomb it up the right wing and let the right winger cut inside a little bit like Tyler Boyd. Um, I like those two looks. I think they're both really interesting ideas. I just want to know when we're doing each one, Mm -hmm. right? I want to know what the criteria is for, all right, the right back goes outside today. Or the right back goes to midfield today. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope that the answer is it's something that makes sense where when we need extra bodies in midfield, Lima does the cut to midfield job. When we're trying to exploit a left back or overload that right hand side, then Lima goes outside. I hope it's as clear as that. But I'm not convinced that it is until we get through this tournament and it becomes as clear as that. I would I would love for it to be that clear because I think my my concern is we keep doing the right back to central midfield, but maybe it doesn't work because oh there was this nuance or there was this thing, and so then we've got to change it again. And if and at a certain point, if you keep doing a thing but it keeps not working and you have to adjust it, then why do you keep doing that thing? And yeah. that's so I'm with you that like I would like for it to be like oh yes he's playing more central this time, but now they've overloaded the middle that's left space out wide, so now we're going to switch it up like. If it's a rational change based on what's happening like and what the opponent is doing to counteract what you're doing, then I'm fine with it. But if it's just like, ooh, they're just not combining well at all, and they should be, but they're not, 
that makes me slightly more concerned. And forgive me for doing two in a row, but this raises a bigger question of a thing we'll learn about Berhalter during this tournament is can he make in-game adjustments Mm -hmm. to win games? Because so far we've seen in-game adjustments to give Dwayne Holmes 30 minutes or in-game adjustments to like give this guy his first cap. I want to see if we're playing the... He describes it as in attack Mm 3-2-2-3. That's the shape, right? Um, If that's suddenly not working and us moving the ball around is not opening up Guyana or Trinidad or Panama, I want to see what does Berhalter do next, Mm -hmm. right? What is his solution, his problem solving within games? That's a thing that I'm... I guess excited is the word that I use, but essentially curious yeah. is to see, to learn is the word. Yeah, because I think sometimes there can be this idea that like, oh, the coach had to change it at halftime. Oh, the coach had to change it 30 minutes in. That means he got it wrong. But look at the way we talk about Mauricio Pochettino. I think you made this point yeah. many times on the show that like Pochettino regularly in the Champions League campaign this season would make like a, a change midway through the first half, a change yeah, yeah. at halftime, sometimes a change happening. in the second half. Exactly. And like, that's how he beat Manchester City. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's like being a proactive coach to adjust to what the other team is doing and then capitalize upon the vulnerabilities that are presented versus, yeah. uh oh, <laughs> like we yeah. have not gotten this right and now we're in big, big trouble. And I don't want his solution to be. Mm-hmm. Do the things I told you, but do them better. Yeah. Because that may not work during a game. Yes. Yeah. Pa- pass harder. Is that it? <laughs> pass better. Um, what, while, we're, while we're continuing to list things, I'll just keep... Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're going to end up listing most of the team. But so like, I'm okay with running long, by the way, because okay. I'm excited for this sort of Gold Cup setup. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad one of us is. I'm getting there. I'm getting more <laughs> excited. Um, but I also think we talked about this a little bit off air, but like, if I asked you to right now, you could take a decent shot at, at telling me who will start at center back. But I think you probably wouldn't have massive confidence that you were going to pick the two starting center backs. Yeah, I, I, actually, I would be very confident in the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. I really think I can name the starting lineup against Guyana right now, with the exception of the center backs. The, the center backs are the only thing that would prevent me putting money on it. Yeah, and that's not you know including I mean? that's not including Tim Ream, right? Because we're kind of assuming it will be Tim Ream as yeah. like the left center back slash left back yeah. slash whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. do you want to do this now? I mean, I, mean I, could, I could list the team for you. But it's basically, oh yeah, I mean, it's going to be what Stefan and goal. You've yep. got Lima at right back, yep. Ream at left back. Bradley is the kind of holding ish midfielder. Yep. Probably uh, uh, McKinney and Pulisic as your two number tens. Yep. Boyd on one side and Ariel on the other. Uh, Josie Altidore starting up top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that that's what yeah. it's going to be. That, yeah. that that checks out. I had not planned to do that list, but yes, right. you're but right. So obvious and easy that yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think Tyler Boyd fitness depends but it seems like if he's fit he's the, he's the yeah. guy he, mm-hmm. we're ready to go with him but then it's the center backs yeah because you've got uh Omar Gonzalez Matt Miazga Aaron Long Walker Zimmerman I think I've listed them all I hope. Yeah, you have yeah um yes yeah, so then the question is who do we think will start or maybe more importantly who would we like to see start I mean the big question for me is by the end of the tournament who is the clear starting pair of center backs when John Brooks isn't fit I agree which if we're going to yep. be honest about the future of the U.S. men's national team we have to have um, a plan for when John Brooks is not fit yeah. because it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Right? Yeah. And so I think we can kind of hope that John Brooks has a better injury history and that he'll be fit for the next major competition. Yeah. But presuming he's not, I'm with you that I would like to come out of this Gold Cup saying, well, we know it's going to be these two. And really, in the most ideal of worlds, unlikely to happen, I like the idea of being like, oh, actually, like maybe those two should be the starters and John Brooks needs to prove that he should be in there. Like, yeah, yeah. that would be the best possible outcome. But that would require a very strong result and probably one of those center backs like lifting the trophy at the end of the competition. <laughs> um, okay. Ideally, both of them at the same time, such is the strength of their partnership. There we go. That's perfect. Uh, with, with perfect balance, right? The trophy is I mean, perfectly straight as they lift it. No wobbles either way. No wobbles. No leans, no wobbles. No leans, no wobbles. <laughs> Here's one. I'd like to know who the captain is. That'd be good. 
Like, I'd like to know now because the tournament starts tomorrow. Who who would you bet? He, he, now, Berhalter does seem like he likes to change it, right? Yeah. Game to game. Yeah. He basically said we have a lot of leaders and we like to give lots of different guys the um, the, the opportunity to show leadership. Would you like that to continue or would you rather have one sort of established captain for I competitions like this? I would rather have one established captain going into a tournament. And who would you like that established captain to be? I think Michael Bradley. Just because he's been there, done that plenty of times. And whatever you think of him has shown plenty of leadership qualities. All right. Yeah. Okay. I can handle that. I can handle that. Yeah. I still, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, other options <laughs> who've worn the armband are like Tim Ream, uh, Aaron Long. Mm-hmm. Like no one's, none of them stand out to me. It's like that guy should definitely be the captain. I think if he were there, I wouldn't mind it being Tyler Adams. I, I don't know how vocal he is of, of a leader. I mean, he talks to himself a lot. He does. About what he's done right or wrong. Yeah. I do see him talking to, when he's playing for Red Bulls, I did, New York Red Bulls, mm-hmm. I did see him talking to his teammates a lot. Especially <laughs> There are many different ones. Yeah, even more senior ones, he yep. would definitely uh, talk at them. Yeah. I think it's a little soon to make Tyler Adams captain when he's like, hardly ever playing for the US Men's right, I'm, I'm going to make him captain and vice captain. So there you go. <laughs> That's how I respond to your statement. Uh, but I, I could do with, I could do with a captain. Yeah. I would enjoy a a regular captain. Is it weird that neither one of us said Christian Pulisic for captain? Not really, because he just doesn't seem like that type of personality, right? It's strange, yeah. but I agree. And yeah. Why burden him with an extra thing of having to worry about everybody else well when said. he should like he should be allowed to just focus on his own game? I, that's yeah. I, thank you for crystallizing because that's exactly what it is. Yeah, you'd have to worry about. I can add nothing stuff. else. You've you've hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I want to give you one more thing I want to see, and it's a thing that could be the key to the tournament. Josie Altador fit throughout an entire tournament doing what Josie Altador does best, which is connect play and yep. put Christian Pulisic through on goal or finish things himself. Mm-hmm. He can do both. We just we haven't seen it for a little while because he was out of the picture, I think, ever since ever since the Trinidad game, right? He didn't get caught up at all under Sarakin. Um, so I, I want to see Altador back and firing because Josh Sargent, if we're honest, is still, what, a couple of years away from being like, a regular starter for his club team and a, an easy pick for the U.S. men's national team. He may be the striker by 2022. But in the meantime, we need an established starting striker. Yep. And it can't be Bobby Wood because he's way out of form. A lot of people would not be happy with it being Jesse Zardes. It has to be Josie Altador. It, it needs a healthy, in-form Josie Altador. That's what I want to see at the Gold Cup. All right. Because you're absolutely right. Like that goal against Chile where Zardes brings it down and plays in Pulisic. Josie can do that. We've yeah. seen him do that for Toronto, yep. especially he, when he would have done the bring it down, drag it back, and do the like reverse quick turn pass. Right, he loves that pass. That, would have been fine that with could me. work for me. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but uh, we talked about it plenty when he was playing with Giovinco at Toronto. That he liked being the one who dropped in and let Giovinco stay high yeah. and let Giovinco like kind of do the running in behind and running off the ball. That seems like it would fit with Christian Pulisic being a more advanced attacking player. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he could do it, and I hope that he does because I'm with you that he seems like he is the number one striker for the very much foreseeable future. Yeah. All right. We tolerate one more from me. Sure. I would. I don't know if we'll see it, but I would feel a lot better about this team if the four four two defensive shape, which we don't talk about enough, right? We talk a lot about the three two two three attacking shape. True. If the four four two, like medium block at best but we do not press right we absolutely do not press we sit in this compact similar to like we do not sew of house pike or house Greyjoy. are we 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 do not press we really don't the the sigil for usa we do counter press once we're in that three two two three and we lose the ball high we counter press to try Mm -hmm. and win it back but once the opposition establishes possession even with like maybe a goal kick usually we collapse into this tight compact four four two that seems to have no bite in it. Mm-hmm. It's really, it, it feels a little squidgy and soft to me, and I'm worried about it. So I'd like some evidence that that works. It's, it's our version of like the US soccer Hippocratic Oath of like, first, do no pressure. <laughs> <laughs>
first do no mistakes is yeah. sort of our defensive approach. But that tends, as we've talked about like with other teams and other situations, when you're sitting off and not necessarily pressing but trying to hold shape, oftentimes yeah. that can then be like, I don't want to be the one who makes the mistake, so I'm not going to stop you from crossing the ball. I'm just going to stop you from nutmegging me and then crossing the and ball. And that's like over-interpreting the yep. Hippocratic Oath, right? It's like if you're a surgeon, but you then you're about to like perform this like life-saving surgery, but then you look up at the Hippocratic Oath and it's like, first do no harm, and you're like... Oh, I can't cut this guy open with a knife. I'll yeah, hurt him. Exactly. <laughs> then you got to use like the Star Trek like laser beam situation yeah. from the fourth one where they go back in time to save whales, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we don't have that, nor do I think we will anytime soon. That's how Wales qualified for Euro 2016, right? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Star Trek's weird. Star Trek is weird. <laughs> it's real, real weird. Um, all right, I keep, I've kept listing things that I want to see, but I'm hoping uh, maybe good frames – through which you and I can watch the Gold Cup and maybe listeners can Mm -hmm. watch the Gold Cup and look out for things. Do you have anything else to add? No, I mean, not really, to be honest. I think we've covered a lot of things. I would just like to come out of this with Daryl not having, like, aside from dramatic moments, not having to put his hands, his head in his hands and saying, like, oh, my God, which is, <laughs> which is the thing that happens when things are very terrible. And it's not, I'm making it sound too grave. It's more of an exclamation than it is, like, oh, my God. It's more of a just, like, oh, my God, leaning back. I don't I want you to tell do you, I don't want you sad. I mean, you've exposed me as a casual blasphemer here. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I will tell you the things that Can that will, be our band name if we ever start one? Casual blasphemer? Yes, the casual blasphemer. That, that would have been rebellious in the 60s to be called that. Yeah. And would just not be noticed at all now. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably true. Oh, um, we wouldn't have time for band practice anyway. No. We'd always be here. Um, so, also, if you've ever heard me sing or attempt to play music or keep time, <laughs> it would not go well. <laughs> My unintentional blasphemy uh-huh. would definitely happen if against Guyana, we uh, have a load of the ball and can't find a way through Guyana. Yeah. How about that? That would be warning, but like... Warning bells will be going off in my head, and I get one installed in this office mm-hmm. if if that is what happened. Yes, and uh, and I'll reiterate something I already said on Extra Time Radio, which is or uh, Extra Time, excuse me. Uh, that is it not ETR anymore? I think it's just Extra Time, right? Are they rebranded? I think so. All right, uh, but uh, what I don't want to see is with that in mind. Just individuals trying to find their way through. Josie Altador trying to kind of like bully his way through because nothing else is happening. Christian Pulisic yeah. trying to dribble through a very defensive, very kicky opponent. We've yeah. seen him try to do that against Cuba at Cuba. It mm-hmm. didn't go well. So I think if we are, so if we find ourselves suddenly in the 55th minute with individuals trying to make a play because nothing else is working, that's where I will be very concerned. There's a major, major thing as well, which speaking of Extra Time Radio, mm-hmm. Matt Doyle raised um, on, yeah. that, on that show. I mean, if you want to hear his full rant, Hey, I think he's written it down and published it to yeah. MLSsoccer.com, but he also does it on the show, and I agree with him, is the problem in the last two friendlies has been pressure on the ball. Yep. Like, the U.S. has been very bad at essentially winning balls in midfield, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know how we fix that, except I'm so, I'm more optimistic than Matt Doyle is that maybe in the four four two shape, it'll be, what, McKenney and Bradley next to each other, um, and that those guys might be able to, to win some tackles. Like, yeah. I'm back Western McKenney in the air, and sliding on the ground, but I'm hoping he can also do it standing up. Here's here's why I'm <laughs> here's why I've enjoyed this conversation because at the end of it, you're continuing to use conditionals. You're still saying could and might. Yeah. But now I kind of believe in the conditionals a little bit more. Versus <laughs> as when you did them in the very beginning, I was like, no, 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 no. Hold on, you're still going like optimistic route. Now I think I'm I'm more inclined to go optimistic with you. Okay. So I think that's probably a good place to end on for the U.S. men's national team conversation because otherwise we could. Like, make the mistake of talking too far, and then suddenly I get negative again. We should mention Guyana. Now I'm negative just who, again. who the opponent is mm-hmm. on, what, Tuesday night yep. 
10 p.m. Eastern kickoff. Yes. It's Guyana. It's their first ever Gold Cup, yep. and people won't know who they are, right? They won't. Can I, can I jump in to say I'm going to steal a line from you, Daryl, which is I think the best way you've explained this game is if you've ever wanted to know how the U.S. men's national team would do against the fifth tier of English soccer, yeah. this is your chance. Right. A lot of this Guyana squad yep. were born overseas. A lot of these guys were born in England because mm-hmm. uh, they used to be, I mean, it used to be a colony. It got independence in the 60s. So there's a lot of immigration from Guyana to Britain. So there's guys who've grown up in England who can who have Guyan, uh, Guyanese mm-hmm. um, heritage who can then represent their national team. And, and forgive, none of them play in the Premier League. Forgive me for, no, they don't. Uh, forgive me for like f- forcing more geopolitical conversations on you or maybe history. Oh, but, I don't like talking about the British Empire. I'm ashamed of it. Well, but because did you all take it from the Netherlands? I think because yes. there are also several players on this team who were born in the Netherlands but are representing because it's Dutch Guiana, right? Or it, I think it was Dutch uh, Guiana, and then Britain somehow took it. Right. Yeah, so yeah, it, it's got a history. Colonialism. Colonialism. It's the worst. Yep, mm. it, it really is. Yep, it really is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it has given Guyana well, the that. team at the Gold there Cup. Go. I'm not sure that's worth the trade off. Probably not. Um, but yeah, so we mentioned the 50. There's a lot of guys who are playing in the uh, the league below the official mm. top four division, the top four professional divisions of English soccer. It's not a terrible standard, but it's not like it's not a standard that should threaten the United States, Mm-mm. right? Some guys in like League One and the Championship. Uh, there was one guy in MLS, but I think he dropped out. A couple of guys from USL. Uh, one guy from USL League Two, which mm-hmm. is essentially the PDL. So it is not a high quality roster. No. We expect. I actually haven't watched footage. We expect that they're going to come and defend, right? Mm-hmm. You would guess some sort of four-five-one setup and lots of players to get through. I don't know how defensively organized they'll be. I kind of hope they are very defensively organized, so it will present a challenge yep. for the Bearhalter principles of play. Can we break this down? Yep. Yeah. I, uh, you will get no arguments yeah. from me. I think that's well said, my friend. And could England, could the U.S. men's national team win the English conference? I Is, mean, would be a good way to judge this. I really hope so. Could they beat Dover <laughs> Athletic? Let's hope so. <laughs> I really am done. All right. All right. Well, that's uh, USA Guiana, that game uh, tomorrow, 10 p.m. Tuesday, if you're listening to this, not on today. Uh, (laughs) 10 p.m. We'll be back with maybe a quick take, hot take, and then a full review. It will depend on how that game goes. Either way, there will be a review. I'm going to say early Wednesday morning uh, would be definitely most likely since the game won't end until midnight. Oh, one final thing I want to say. Oh, my God. We're never going to leave this office. But you, you may be thinking like, Oh, it's Guyana. Like, it doesn't even matter if we beat them mm. or not. There is basically just the potential for us to fail yep. by not beating them or not looking good. A good performance against Guyana is essentially the platform for the actual challenge in this group, which is playing uh, Trinidad on Saturday and then Panama on Wednesday. Both those are proper CONCACAF tests mm-hmm. that are coming. Yep. Right? CONCACAF tests are coming. <laughs> yes. Is that another Game of Thrones reference that we've yeah. sort of worked in? Sure. I like it, yeah. and I'm good with it. Um, I'm, I also like talking about the Women's World Cup, which yes. we're going to do in just a moment. But first, we should talk about today's sponsor, Dollar Shave Club. Yes, Dollar Shave Club. So with all mm-hmm. the soccer that's happening, because yeah. you and I have been busy, right? Women's World Cup pretty much every day for at least a week, maybe more. We're going to add a whole other tournament on top of that right mm-hmm. now. The Gold Cup is starting. Copa America is happening. You're going to be talking to a special guest about that yep. soon, right? Africa Cup of Nations is happening. Yep. With all that going on, it'd be easy to like maybe forget to take care of business. Yes. Forget to take care of yourself. Forget to shave your face, wash your face, make yourself look good. I did have a moment the other day when I was looking and realizing like I haven't cleaned up the beard in a little bit of time. Oh, yeah. So then I like put on a shirt to be like, well, that should make me not look homeless <laughs> when I go walk the dogs. <laughs> Balance it out. But then I realized that the shirt I put on, I didn't really check it because it was like I woke up early, walked the dogs, and put on a collared shirt. It was wrinkled. So a wrinkled shirt with an unkempt beard doesn't have the same effect. If anything, it doubles down on the homeless look. 
luckily, yes. there's dollar shaving. There is. So you can mm-hmm. clean yourself up, mister. I can. <laughs> One of the ways you do it would be, or maybe the best way to do it would be with the executive razor, the shave butter, mm-hmm. and the face cleanser to cleanse that face afterwards. I mean, this face needs to be cleansed. That much is true. But it is the case <laughs> that like, just like thinking about Dollar Shave Club, I am kind of excited to go home after we're done recording. It's been a long day. I'm going to go home. I am going to you know, clean up the beard a little bit. I'm going to give it a trim. I'm going to give it a shave. Well, you'll be using quali- Not a full shave. You'll be using quality products. I will. So that will make sure that you get the job, job done correctly. You're done right. I also <laughs> like to use, is it the prep, is it the prep scrub? The, I love the prep yeah. scrub. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the prep scrub is essentially, I think, an exfoliant. Mm-hmm. So it's got the little... I, I, this is not a scientific term, but it's got little bits in it. That's what I was going to say. I, that's why I paused was because I shouldn't say like the one with the bits. Yes, the prep it scrub. It's got little bits in it and it essentially mm-hmm. exfoliates. Right? It, it gets rid of dead skin. It really does make you feel like you've had a sort of uh, some sort of treatment yeah. afterwards, a spa treatment. Uh, see, you laugh. <laughs> that's genuinely what I was going to say is one of the things I do miss about living in Turkey is like going to the Turkish bath and you could get like the scrub where they would yes. like exfoliate for you and you'd go outside Wait, in the winter so, especially. So do it for you? Oh, yeah. They have like oh. a glove that they would use. Yes. And it was a little sandpapery, but it felt slightly yeah. better. But then you'd go outside, especially in the winter, and it would be like, I have a whole new layer. Like that whole dead skin is gone and I can feel everything. Yeah. Yes. So what I will do with the prep scrub is I will use it to prep for the shave, but I will also use it, you know, just to exfoliate a little bit here yep. and there. And it works so, really well. So you can feel again. Mm-hmm. So I can <laughs> finally feel again. Yes. <laughs> I great, use it on my heart. <laughs> other great products where you're scrubbing real hard yeah, I am. to get into your heart. Yep. Um, it's a Kali Ma situation from Temple of Doom. <laughs> oh, no. Other great products yeah. include the shampoo and conditioner, uh-huh. which I'm still using. We got a couple of bottles when we started working with Dollar Shave Club. I am a big fan of the shampoo and conditioner. As am I. I want to say it's sage and black pepper. It is. Is the the flavor the shampoo flavors? Sure, <laughs> I would say scent, but yeah, why not? Also, I've been drinking it. That's not good. We are misusing these products. <laughs> no, scrubbing our hearts and drinking shampoo. I've been rubbing it into my hair. <laughs> um, and right now, you can get a Dollar Shave Club starter set for just five dollars. Uh, it comes with everything you need for a great shave: the executive razor, as Daryl mentioned, the shave butter that Daryl mentioned, and the face cleanser. Daryl mentioned that too. Yep. And if you want the prep scrub, you can also buy that from the website. There you go. Yeah. Um, and you can even add uh, the groundskeeper to your order. Oh, that's the deodorant, right? Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Uh, get your starter set for just $5 at dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. Thank you very much to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring today's episode. Before we get to the Women's World Cup games, quick question for you, Daryl. Yeah. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, extremely racist or just very racist? Whichever one's the most racist Okay, cool, two. cool, cool, cool. say extremely. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah. Just want to make sure we're on the same page. All right. Oh, yes. <laughs> Young Daryl didn't realize. Yeah. Older, I'm going to say more woke Daryl, yes. was horrified yeah. when I rewatched The Temple of Doom. Monkey Brains. Easily the worst Indiana Jones film, right? Uh, I mean, it's up. Kingdom, Kingdom of the Ooh, Crystal Skull is, is okay. not great. It's not great. They're both pretty rough. All right. Yes. But really, just watch, <laughs> watch Road to the Lost Ark. Yeah. Watch The Last Crusade. And you're good. Just you're wa- good. Just move on after that. I would say just, yes, I would agree. I would also say just watch the Always Sunny episode yeah. when uh, they're pretending to be Indiana Jones and, and, and they end up having this conversation, which ends with uh, <laughs> uh, Mac and Charlie agreeing that Temple of Doom is out and so is the last one as well. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we've just found a Sunny episode that I haven't seen because I don't remember that. Oh, you have to have seen it. When they're trying to steal the artifact, the gang gets trapped. It's one is of it my the gang gets trapped? Yes. <laughs> All right. I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. I know what I'm doing tonight. All right. Uh, so you're going to... 
watch that. I may rewatch that one instead of rewatching uh, uh, France's penalty shout against Nigeria yeah, for well, the four hundredth time. We've rewatched it. We have indeed. And I don't need to do it anymore. And we definitely won't be watching rewatching China Spain. No, <laughs> so no, we will not. So today at the Women's World Cup, yeah. um, we wrapped up mm-hmm. Group A and Group B. Yep. All games have been played in Group A and Group B. Let's start in Group A with the hosts where there was the most. Again, the most controversial incident of the day mm-hmm. that it turns out is not that controversial. So France versus Nigeria. Yep. France win one nil mm-hmm. under when, on a Wendy Renard penalty yep. kick, which she got to read. She hit the post and hit or hit it wide. She hit the post and it went wide. She hit yep. the post and it went wide with the first one. Um, mm-hmm. She she got to retake it. She did because uh, the goalkeeper came off the line. Yes, but even that controversy. Uh, is the that's only the second part? I've just realised for some people the actual penalty decision itself was controversial. Yeah, I don't quite get that. Derek Ray said that she lost her footing uh, in, in this one. It was yeah. Asai. Um, if you go back and rewatch, Ebere clearly takes her out. She she's trying to yeah. I think make a play on the ball. She ends up just kicking Asai's plant foot, which is why she goes tumbling to the ground. Uh, so she yeah, she literally uses her right leg yeah. to kick Asai's left leg out from under her. Yeah, it's a hundred percent stone cold penalty. Yeah, no ball. Kicked the leg in the box. Yeah. That's definitely the case. Ooh, can we just credit as well? Yes, we can. The cross from Madri. If we can credit in. the header from Les Amers as well. Yeah, the flicked header from mm-hmm. Les Amers. This was a big chance for yep. SAU, right? She essentially was going to have either a one-time or mm-hmm. a touch-and-then-shot at goal. It was yeah. a perfectly created opportunity for France. I'm doubling down. Madri's the best crosser in the tournament. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. You want, yeah, especially when she's I'm helped on. add this to the pile of evidence. That's fair. But I also, it's, it, this game was definitely missing Eugene Lesemeyer. And then when she comes on, yes. you see what she offers, which is not necessarily just goal scoring. Uh, she's, I think, like tied for most goals in a World Cup for a French player. Yep. But she wasn't as concerned about I that saw here. That graphic as well. Yeah, screen. because I think it happened <laughs> right as she did this. But uh, like the little, just the flick on header, it shows you what a difference that little touch can make. Because instead of the ball maybe going straight to the goalkeeper, straight out of bounds, instead it just adjusts it at the last second and that's what causes some problems. And it's not a random flick on, right? It mm-hmm. is perfect. Perfectly into the path of SIE. It yeah. is an absolutely perfect flick header. It is. Um, it's a bad tackle from uh, Abere. Yeah. And then uh, referee, let's play resume, or let's play continue, rather. It goes off of the foot of SAE, but she's been taken out. Rolls to uh, Nandozi, the goalkeeper. Uh, and that's where uh, referee then stops play, goes to VAR, ends up awarding a penalty. Was in her ear, right? Yeah. 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 And, and I think that was more so, maybe it looked for a moment like, oh, it wasn't going to be given, then VAR intervened. I think that's one of those examples of letting the play continue because you have VAR to come back and help you. Yeah. In this case, it does. She checks it. It's definitely a foul. It's definitely not really trying to play the ball because it's just kicking a leg. Even if it was unintentional, I think that still qualifies as a yellow card. Absolutely. You can't kick a player's no. leg from under her as she's about to strike the ball. Yes. Right? And this is part one of my uh, Twitter stop campaign. Twitter stop. Yeah, because I think what happens is people want to vent. People are frustrated by moments like this. They take to Twitter to vent their frustration. That's what Twitter's there for and fine. Not officially, and I wish it wasn't used that way, yeah. but yes. Uh, but even then, like I don't I don't necessarily mind like in that moment of like, ah, I got, someone needs to know that I'm angry. Fine. But what ended up happening, I saw, was this weird... Yeah, like, like a goldfish. Right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Get a goldfish, <laughs> scream at it. It will feel kind of sad. Um, but here, what I saw was a lot of people then, because uh, Abere gets the red card, people respond with, like, oh, oh, how is that a red card this. challenge? That's never yeah. a red card. Well, it wasn't a red card. It was a second yellow. But I think you see it repeated enough, and maybe if you don't go back and watch yourself, you have that moment. I had that moment of like, wait, was it a straight red? Did I miss something? Yeah. And that's where I get frustrated. because you repeat the lie often enough, people will believe well, it. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So then we can get back to my frustration with Twitter, because the penalty's given. Penalty's taken by Wendy Renard, as you said. Goes off the post. 
goes out of bounds. Nigeria celebrate because they're still on track to get that one point, which would have given them four, which would have basically secured them passage for sure. They would have been one of the top third-place mm-hmm. teams. Yeah. Yep. Yep, absolutely. But instead, oh, VAR comes in. Referee holds the ear. Referee draws the box. Referee points to the spot. Penalty retaken because Ndozi comes off her line. It's also and an automatic does, yellow card. Right? You watch mm-hmm. the replay before Renard strikes the ball. Ndozi is definitely, it's not far. It's mm-hmm. maybe a couple inches. But yep. n- none of her feet are touching the uh, the goal line. Mm-mm. That's what needs to happen. We- we've already had this conversation once, yep. right, about how they've liberalized the rules by letting the goalkeepers come forward. They're letting the goalkeeper step off the line, mm-hmm. but they have to keep at least one foot yep. on the goal line or level with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're really, really, really enforcing it in a way that once you have VAR, you kind of have to, right? Because yeah. you can't be like, oh, we didn't see that. Maybe it doesn't count because it's there on the screen. Yes. And this is where I will say, like, I have an opinion on this. We can talk about that later if we want. I will say if we're going with the rules of the game as they are, yeah. the referee is correct. The foot is off the line. Yes. And, and Same this as is, with Schneider for Jamaica, yeah. right? And this is where, like, I get why people are frustrated about it. I get how people think it should be a little bit different. But, like, then if you're like, well, it needs to be an obvious, like, foot off the line. It needs to be a certain margin. Then what? Now you're going to police that? Like, it's – but I'm saying, like, the, I saw some people being like, well, it needs to be really obvious. It needs to be a foot off the line, not a couple how are you inches. measure that? Exactly. Yeah. So that's where I understand that frustration. And, again, we can talk about that in a second. But I have also seen people then I'm be – I'm living in a soapbox, by the way. <laughs> Keep it going. Well, then and we've also seen people frustrated by encroachment from France. And this is where the I want to say... Players at yes. the top of the box stepping in yes. before the kick is taken? Which the French players did for the first kick. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and that's the second thing I've seen from Twitter is so a this lot... This is you arguing with Twitter, basically. Basically. Yeah. Because a lot of the screen grabs you will see of French encroachment of players stepping into the box. And it was the case... I forget what the other game was where this... Oh, Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Same exact thing. The screen grabs were from the wrong moment. and They're that's from the wrong penalty kick. Yeah, exactly. If you look, it's 7701 is, I think, where most of the screen grabs are from. That's the first miss. So, fine. There was French encroachment, but there was still the foot off the line. Those don't just, just negate. That's not how it works. Yep. Because... As my understanding is, you get VR will look at player encroachment if the player who encroaches is involved. So if Daryl takes the penalty, the penalty is saved, I'm on Daryl's team and I've already run into the box, and then I run in and tap it home because the goalkeeper has made the save, Daryl hasn't reacted, but I have, but I'm in the box when the kick is taken, then that's encroachment. VAR will say, no, 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 it's got to be retaken. Right. So that's Because you gained an advantage by stepping into the box earlier than exactly. you should have, and you got to score because of it. Exactly. So I think maybe VAR will take a look at player encroachment, aside from that, if it's egregious, but I also think that they're more so focused on making sure goalkeepers stay on the line. I think so, it's probably up to the official to police uh, encroachment from it, the individual is players. Is this a hard and fast law that um, it, encroachment is only sort of looked at if the player then becomes involved on a rebound? I mean, I, Or is this like an interpretation that referees have been given? Um, I, I think it's more so an interpretation that they've been given. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. It's, I think it's that. No, they've I think been it's told to interpret it this way. Like, that, encroachment's yeah. bad, but we don't call a, call a penalty back because of it yeah. unless someone scores on the rebound because they encroach. I believe that is correct. That we can't sense, know for right? sure because I think... VAR is different from league to league, from competition to competition, and the way it's being called, I think, is different and kind of interpreted differently. So we haven't seen the guidelines to no. FIFA officials for for this no. tournament, right? But but I think it, it is the case regardless that encroachment, I don't think is, is it, or I certainly know is not going to negate the goalkeeper well, I mean, making a mistake of her own. And what I see happening is, to your mm-hmm. to your sort of argument with Twitter, you definitely use more than 280 characters in that rant. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it was a thread. <laughs> it was a thread. Um, I think that, that encroachment argument is people who maybe begrudgingly accept that, okay, yeah, um, Andozi was off her line and that's the laws of the game and therefore 
the penalty has to be retaken. But it feels wrong. Yep. It feels unjust. There it and is. therefore, I'm looking for some sort of um, counter move in terms of thing, a thing yep. that the other team did wrong. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's not how it works. No. Right? Here's, and here's my major thing. I, I agree that it does feel wrong mm-hmm. because based on what the discussion I saw in Dozier have with the referee afterwards, I don't think she fully either didn't fully know about the law about you've got to have one foot on the line at all like before before the kick is taken mm-hmm. um, or she hasn't practiced with it enough that. and I think the bigger problem here is that these laws came into effect June 1st mm-hmm. the World Cup started June 7th so maybe we shouldn't be changing the laws of the game <laughs> six days before a, no. a tournament like the World Cup starts I feel like the, the rules for a tournament World Cup Men's World Cup anything should be like you've had a full season of playing this mm-hmm. and then we play this game in the summer using the laws that everybody knows and understands, right? That yes. would make more sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely would. And I and I think it would also make sense to not have such a a difficult to like to stamp out rule Im- implemented. That's where I am with this is that like while I understand that this is technically the correct call and that's why I understand why people are upset about it, but I'm not going to be like, yeah, and it was nonsense. Like, no, it wasn't nonsense. It was within the laws of the game. Yeah. But you can also say that I don't think the laws of the game work very well in this in this situation. And I think not they don't. used to them yet. No, well, yeah, it's that, but it's also like, it's already hard enough to save a penalty. Like, it's, <laughs> oh, I think like 70% of the time it goes in is, I think, the stat I heard bandied about somewhere recently. 70% of the time it works every time? That's the one. Um, <laughs> and But I think then if you're making it to the goalkeeper, like, that's what I kept finding myself with is like, how can the goalkeeper ever be sure? And that's kind of what I think happened to Ndozi here is that even if she's practiced it, she she probably left a half second. That explains that little bit of a distance. Yeah. She just didn't time it well enough. Wendy Renard does do like a, a half Slight step delay. Stutter, right, which may tempt Dozier off yeah. the line. Right? And I think maybe that's what it was, is that goalkeepers are trying to time it now. Yeah. But but all of that speaks to they're still trying to find a way to get some level of an, of an advantage because not being able to come off your line a little bit early is, is no longer – like it kind of limits what you can do. Mm-hmm. And so I get why it doesn't make sense – theoretically or why people want it to be changed i would like that to maybe be removed but i also don't have a solution because then the question is like well is it up to the center official but then why have it be up to the center official when there's an official in the sky who can get it right every time it's very difficult but they should be called sky refs they should be called sky refs that's how it should be so i i feel like nigeria are justified furlong would be terrified of them (laughs) he definitely would be uh yeah that's too close to skynet you're right (laughs) we're just going straight late 80s early 90s references now i like it um so it's more so like commiserations to nigeria to me because or from me because i i feel for them i understand why they feel hard done out of the tournament and they're probably out of the tournament probably we'll see i think they're still alive but even if they're not like they have two players even if they do make it through they have two players suspended because there's a red card there's a uh, yellow card accumulation as well so they're still going to be pretty hard done. And this did happen at a time when they were holding on. They were going to get the point. They still had 11 players on the pitch. Yeah, they yeah. still didn't ha- have that second yellow card. So all seemed right. And in a matter of 10 minutes, all went wrong. Oh, and they did pretty well up to mm-hmm. that point. To wrap this game up, they actually had uh, put out a game plan yeah. of what, it's what we talked about in the past, right? They actually do a good job of uh, sort of defending in a really organized, mm-hmm. I think, 4 4 2, like fighting hard for the ball. Rita Chitwele was like the, uh, the most fouls because she's, she's running around like snuffing yeah. things out and then they can counterattack through as he's at Ashwala and even if this had ended this game plan had ended in a draw it would have been enough right yep. to get four points you're probably one of the best third place teams yep oh so unlucky Nigeria mm-hmm. maybe there's a chance we see them again um, if yep. things work out for them in other groups should we move to the other group A game we, we should but not just yet not just yet because <laughs> because here's the final thing I want to say is like yes. what made me really frustrated uh, heading into this recording we took a break 
we came back to recording, and I saw somebody on Twitter. Like, I like Rob Stone. Rob Stone's been on the show before. I have no like particular like loyalty to Rob Stone, and I yeah. say that just to say that I saw somebody. He tweeted like harsh, but technically correct on both of the decisions. Like, it feels wrong, but like he that was his tweet. And oh, somebody he's was right then. Yeah, and somebody responded. Like, you clearly know nothing. Like, you're so ignorant. And it's just like... I mean, honestly, I think we need to stay away from Twitter because yeah. it is where people just vent angry emotions. Maybe yeah. we'd be better off just, like, watching the game and talking about what happened. Yeah. But I guess I guess if you want to vent at somebody, then fine. You're going to be that person who vents at somebody. But I would encourage people to just take a moment and be like, wait, hold on. What is the rule? How is it supposed to be before yeah, yeah. you go about accusing people of being ignorant and stupid? I will put a link to the iFab app in the show notes once again. Yeah. So people can Please download do. it and have the laws of the game in the palm of their hand. Mm-hmm. It has a search function, so you really can find whatever it is that you're looking for. It also has a changes to the laws for 2019-20, so you get a list of the, uh, of the, of the changes. Yeah. The man who pioneered a term for four strikes in a row in bowling is not ignorant or stupid. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about Rob Stone. Hambone? That's the one. <laughs> I don't know nothing about bowling. I know that. Somehow that's like entered the popular culture, right? Hey. He's done his job. He's done his job. <laughs> All right, let's pivot mm-hmm. to the, um, while leaving one foot on the line, to the other Group A game. Yep. It was South Korea facing Norway. This finished 2-1 to Norway. Um, so they go through uh, with six points, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, two penalty kicks for yep. Norway. Nothing f- controversial here. Both of these penalty kicks yep. are the, the most penalty kick I've ever seen. Yes, yes. I said nothing the controversial here slightly in jest, I think, because any time a game... Like is uh, resolved via double penalty kick. Yeah, it seems like things should be controversial, but you're absolutely right. Both of these were just sort of like, oh, you want us to give you a definitive example of what a penalty is? Yeah. Well, here you go. So the first one yeah. is Cho, the Korean captain. Yep. It's on a corner kick. Cho literally wraps her arms around uh, Thorsdottir, mm-hmm. and her hands meet on the other side. Yep. It looks like she's given her the Heimlich maneuver, and then she yep. kind of takes a step into her. Yep. As well. And uses the knee as leverage. And uses the knee as leverage. It's the most aggressive marking so thing ridiculous. I've ever seen. Referee obviously gives a penalty. Do you remember my favorite part about this? Your favorite part about this yes. is that all the Korean yep. players, except Cho, <laughs> yep. put their arms in the air to appeal. Yeah. Probably because they haven't seen what Cho's done. Yep. Cho knows what she's done. Yep. Her arms are down. She's just looking around. Yeah. And when she sees everybody else with their arms in the air, she... Also raises her arms, <laughs> yep. very, very, almost comedic. Her comic timing so is ridiculous. Perfect. It's so late. It's like, what? What happened? Yeah. What could yeah. I have done? Oh wait, right. There's the eye in the sky. Uh oh. <laughs> sky refs. Sky, sky refs. refs will get me. Yes. This one so, was given straight away, though, right? It was given straight you away. You can't miss this. No, it, it was given straight away. I believe it was the fastest penalty awarded in women's World Cup history. Uh, coolly it was dispatched. The most penalty awarded in women's World Cup history as well. Also that. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, coolly dispatched by uh, Caroline Graham Hansen. Yeah, you said it, you said it in the. Uh, Previous, she's she'll, definitely the greatest penalty kick taker. Yeah, she'll time, take right? them all. I will say there was a moment there. I, I say calmly dispatched. Take it was it was slightly central, and if she hit that higher, that penalty gets saved. It wasn't a great penalty. It was not, but it she converted it. So I she will. Did. I will eat my words there. We'll see what happens <laughs> in the knockout round. But right now, she converted one, and maybe would have converted another, but had to be subbed out. Oh yeah. So the first one was the fifth minute, as mm-hmm. you said, nice and early. In the fifty-first minute, Caroline Graham Graham Hansen. Mm-hmm. They, they pronounce it in a very Norwegian way, right? Wins a penalty kick after a wonderful one-two and yep. then dribble at the uh, Korean defense. A really good moment from uh, yeah. Caroline Graham Hansen. And then it's taken out by Kang mm-hmm. with a tackle that is bad enough, 
but could have been a lot worse. Could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Uh, basically, Kang, she leads with, I would say, the wrong leg. I think you made that point, that it's like she, yeah. you, she kind of doesn't use the right leg. This won't make as much sense, but if you watch it again, it will. Well, she's on Caroline Graham Hansen's left side, mm-hmm. and she tackles her with the right foot. So right. already you know that it's not going to be the foot that can be farthest ahead of Caroline Graham Hansen. Exactly, right? yeah. So what it ends up being is, I think she leads with the right foot, and she... Like, before she can lift the studs up to make a play on the ball, she basically... She's trying to slide, right? ...drives her toe, yeah, into the outside of uh, Graham Hansen's left foot. Yep. And so it could have been way worse because if those studs become raised, now that stud to foot, that's definitely a broken foot. a calf or an ankle or something, Yeah, right? even as it is, though, that one replay where you can see that her... Uh, Graham Hansen's foot just completely bent back because not only does it, like, absorb that impact, but then because of that, it knocks into the ground, it gets dragged behind, and so she definitely rolls that ankle as well. Yep. Is going to be feeling that, was feeling that, had to be she subbed, subbed off. off immediately? She was. Yeah, from what we saw, I think... Relatively immediately. I think she gets a little bit of treatment and comes off like a couple minutes after the penalty is taken. Twitter can be good for some things. Yep. I saw a news report tweeted out where Callum Graham Hansen said uh, she thinks she'll be back for the round of 16 mm-hmm. game. And her coach, um, Shorgan, said she's a tough woman, she'll yeah. be back. Mm-hmm. Which I really, really like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in her uh, place, uh, Herlofsen steps up, yep. finishes... Takes the penalty. Sort of. Keeper gets a hand to it, right? Does, yes. Yeah. I would say the first penalty, gets a hand to it. slightly more confidence like building than the second. And even yeah. then, it was like, ooh, Norway. I think a thing we Hit him a little about, harder. The thing we learned about Norway, you, you did say in the preview, mm. Callum Graham Hansen has missed a lot of penalties for Norway. Neither of these PKs were good. Mm-mm. From two of their most attacking players, yep. right? Like Graham Hansen's the 10. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Herlofsen's the 9. So yeah. these are the two most attacking players. Bad penalties from both. Yes. They, they really got lucky with. Mm. I would say if I face Norway, I'd maybe play for a draw and go for a penalty shootout. <laughs> I mean, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But Norway through to the next round, as you said. Yeah, here's, uh, what, here's what Group A looks like. Yep. Sorry for uh, interrupting. No, okay. sure we get. So Group A, France goes through, top, nine points plus six goal difference. Won every single game. Mm-hmm. Well done. France conceded only one goal. In second place, Norway. That's what I was just trying to figure out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, six points. Uh, oh, sorry. Korea did uh, score a late consolation goal, mm-hmm. but we're not really going to analyze it because they're bottom of the group yeah. um, and it, it sort of didn't mean anything. Correct. Me. I mean, I'm sure it was nice, but yeah. it didn't mean anything about their progression through the mm-hmm. tournament. Second place, Norway, six points plus three. They're through. Third place, Nigeria, three points, negative two goal difference. I've got a feeling that won't be quite enough. I think there'll be too many other teams with either. So there's a ranking of like the four best yeah. third-place teams out of six go through. There'll be too many other teams with either four points or three points and a zero goal difference. Yeah. Or maybe maybe even a positive goal difference. South Korea bottom, zero points, negative seven goal difference. I do feel bad for uh, Nigeria. I think we had this with like Albania maybe at the 2016 Euros where it's like they were the first team to play their last group stage game. So now yeah. they have to wait and hope. That's yeah. got to be a little bit rough if you're Nigeria. Oh, so the, I mean, they won't be beating China because no. China finished third place in Group mm-hmm. B with four points. Um, do you want to talk about China Spain or do you want to talk about the game where there were some goals? Let's go to the game where there were some goals. <laughs> okay. Actually, no. Let's save that for let's save dessert, which is multiple <laughs> goals to talk about for last. Should we eat our greens first? Then? Sure. <laughs> okay. China Spain in Group B. No, no. Boring, boring greens. Uh, boring, boring greens. Because China knew, right? They had three points going into this. They knew mm-hmm. we can defend in a 4 4 2 and we can be kind of scrappy. And if we get a point, we'll have four points total, a zero negative, no, no negative, no positive, yeah. zero goal difference. That might see us through in third place. Mm-hmm. And essentially, China got the job done. Yep. I went back and rewatched some stuff. And I also noticed essentially. I did not. You did not. You, you were smart. Um, 
Spain never really looked like scoring, and uh-huh. I think it's a Spanish problem. Yep. Lots of nice possession, nice like moves to get away from people, then moving the ball through midfield, and it looks really good. But when they get to the box, things get bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's either Jennifer Amoso creating a chance and a striker missing it, or Jennifer Amoso in the box and someone else can't find her. Yes. So one of the Garcias, N. Garcia, really it felt like every time she got the ball in the box, she didn't quite have that cutting edge of... I'm going to make a bit of space and shoot. It was always she would get dispossessed. Or in one instance, she blocked She blocked a Jennifer Hermoso shot. Yes, which is probably not what she was going for uh, there. Uh, was I think you said as, as soon as that happened, you're like, that's pretty representative of Spain so far. Yeah. And I think I feel like, again, sort of sympathies for Spain because this is the game that you, if you're, if you're the Spanish national team, you want to show like, okay, we found a way through. We can beat a very defensive team, a very well-organized team. We can find a way through. Yep, I said well-organized. I don't you care. Um, because but they were in this, this game. Case, yeah, tight, 4-4-2, yes. scrappy, yeah. scrappy, it worked. And that they didn't, that they weren't able to get the goal, that they couldn't find a result or have one individual player have an individual moment of brilliance. It probably doesn't make them as kind of optimistic as it would have otherwise, and also given that we think there's a decent chance they end up playing in the United States. If they finish second, the U.S. finishes top of Group F. Mm-hmm. I think it's USA versus Spain in the round yes. of 16. Honestly, watching them today, I'm not scared of them. I yeah. don't think they have what it takes to exploit any opportunities that we might give them. Yes, I think that's I think that's probably safe. I feel like they're a better version of what Scott what I thought Scotland would be, which is sort of like can play defensive, have the technical ability to play on the counter, but I think what Scotland are is a team that has reliance on kind of players who necessarily have to play further back in the midfield. And so I think that's what Spain will bring is sort of midfield presence and ability to possess the ball, but don't have the kind of blistering counterattack with a lethal forward that could cause problems to the United States. I think that's right. Mm. Maybe we'll get more into that after the group stage that and works. when we're previewing what we think will be USA Spain. Depends on the USA Sweden mm. game it does. goes, right? We shall see. Okay, to the other game. Let's do it. Uh, which finished Germany, how many? Four? Yep. South Africa, nil. Germany, Germany many, South Africa, nil. Germany many, South Africa, nil. Yep. And there was a lot of. I would say defensive mistakes from South Africa, Mm -hmm. but also a lot of very um, smart things that Germany did to either create or exploit those mistakes. Do you want to talk about all the goals or do you want to talk about the... I think I want to talk about all four because I think think all four of these goals were kind of interesting. They had like an element that highlights something Germany were doing, if you don't mind. No, no, no. Yeah? All right, let's go first. Hopefully listeners are still with us an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) So the the first goal is Mm. the uh, Leopold's header, Yeah. right? Um, Quite early on in this game. Yeah. what, what I think is really interesting about this, it's so Schwerz, the left back, takes the corner. It's coming in. Leopold does a very simple check to the far post, run to the near post. Mm-hmm. And her defender, uh, Biana, bites the hardest on that move that I've ever seen someone bite on it. Wait, hold on. You said check to the far post, runs to the no, near post? No, check to the near post, okay, runs cool. to the far cool, post. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Biana essentially yeah. follows her to the near post and keeps going even after Leopold has checked back the other way. Yep. Normally, you you lose the defender after you check they're behind you and they're chasing you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Biana doesn't even get to that stage, I don't think. I think she's still still no. defending that near post run. I mean, Leopold is standing when she heads this ball. She's yeah. not she's not r- muscling somebody out of the way. She's not running to meet it and just barely getting on the end. She's basically standing there, jumps up. She doesn't have no one to meet. She doesn't even no. jump. I don't think she leaves the floor. She might not have. So, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a great header. It's a great finish. It's a good ball in. But it's horrible defending from South Africa. Yep. And I really do... Part of the reason why I asked how many of these you wanted to go through is because 
at least two, maybe three of these goals, I think, are Germany doing proactive things and causing problems, but it's also South Africa sort of gifting them opportunities. This would be one. The second goal, doubly so. Yeah, so De Britz scores the second goal. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a goalkeeper mistake, which I think we'll talk about a little bit. But it starts with Van Vick. Mm -hmm. Remember this moment? Oh, gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, So centre-back and captain Van Vick has the ball in the middle, Mm -hmm. tries to play a forward pass. It hits the referee... And Germany gain possession. Yep. And then Van Vick complains at the referee. The referee stops play yep. and gives a drop ball. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting in the studio saying, what is going on? Yeah. That's not the law. And then we thought... You know what we didn't do? Tweet angrily about it. We didn't. What we did is we checked the IFAB app. Yep. We, we clicked on the um, changes to the laws of mm-hmm. the game. Turns out yep. the new law is um, if the ball hits the referee and it results in a change of possession or an attack, it's a drop ball... Um, mm-hmm. uh, uncontested for the player who originally had possession. Which is That's what happened a new here. law. I think it's a good law. I think it is too. It, all, it feels super unfortunate when someone hits the referee with the ball. That said, when Van Vick plays this pass, yeah. the ref's directly in front of her. Yep. And she should have known that she was there. And also when she takes the drop ball, she immediately tries to drive it into the feet of one of her teammates and instead overhits it and it goes right back to the German defense. Yes, it does. And then Germany counterattacks. They sure do. <laughs> yeah. And this is where I say that it's definitely uh, South Africa more so than Germany because yeah. it's uh, Schwier down the left. The left back getting forward, swinging yeah. across in. Play- Trying to be Marjorie. Sort of swinging across in. It's like a, it's a low sort of swinging ball. It's not very well hit to the extent that you can see once she once Schwier hits it, she kind of puts her hands she up. Like, oh, sorry. She definitely apologizes. Uh, Lamini, the goalkeeper for South Africa, comes off, comes off her line. And I... I am inclined to say that she gets fooled by the swerve on the cross, yeah. but there's not enough for her to really, like, for that to justify this misread. There is, I don't know if we still disagree about this because we watched this several mm-hmm. times in the studio again. Yeah. Um, I think there's a weird bounce on this ball where it's bending, um, it's um, sort of in swinging ball that as it lands, instead of keep swinging in the direction it should, it sort of straightens up and goes mm-hmm. uh, more in a straight line. I think this wrong foots Lamini. And I'm inclined to say that I think she thinks the ball is just coming straight to her. She thinks yeah. it's like a kind of a line drive pass instead of a bending cross. Comes to meet it and then realizes, oh, there's bend on this ball. And that's why she dives so late because she gets down. Yeah. But she gets down very late and ends up just spilling the ball basically into an open net. And it should never have been a dive to begin with, right? This no. is a ball that you come and collect in your arms and the whole thing is dead. Instead, mm. uh, for whatever reason, because she's misread it because of the weird spin, yep. maybe a little bit of both, she ends up making a weird diving parry save like at the, about, yeah. the, about the 12 yard, like mm-hmm. 12 yards out of her own area. And she just parries it out and De Brits is on it. She parries it like lateral, basically. Yeah. She just kind of keeps the ball moving. De Brits is there, finishes it 2-0 to Germany. Credit to De Brits yeah. because she did the same thing against Spain yep. where she was the one that was alive to the play, alive to what might be a loose ball. She did it again here and mm-hmm. she was first there before anyone else. That's why she now has two goals at the World Cup. It is. Keep that in mind about German players continuing for balls after they seem like oh, they're done. Yeah. We'll get back to that for the fourth goal. But first, we've got to talk about the third goal, which I think is the one that if you are a fan of Germany or uh, a knockout round opponent of Germany, this is the one that you probably want to pay attention to. Oh, because, is this the crossing run goal? Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, this is really, really impressive to me. It, it's, it's, it's Germany in transition, this time uh, attacking from the right. Uh, and it's Huth coming down the left. It's Pop in the middle. And basically, Huth makes a kind of diagonal run, crosses Pop, and Pop is aware of this. I have to believe it's a little bit rehearsed or something they've practiced because basically it throws off the defenders and they end up in definitely a mismatch uh, because it That's ends up thing, being... Right? They don't lose their markers, but uh-uh. they switch markers yep. and it's very advantageous to the very good in the air, Alexandra Pop. Yeah, because it's uh, Romelope, I guess. I think that's how you pronounce it. Is uh, the right back and she ends up marking 
pop. Uh, Romelope is five foot zero. Five foot, five foot tall. Yeah. Uh, uh, and pop is five foot nine. Yeah. So a slight difference of size. Famously dangerous in the air. So this seems mm-hmm. to me like a thing where Germany had a designed sort of uh, rotation essentially mm-hmm. between players to get pop matched up against the smallest player on the field. Yeah. And if you believe the internet when it comes to weight, uh, pop also has about 30 pounds on Romelope. Yeah. So it makes more sense why she's able to basically completely dominate in the air, get on the end of this one and bury a header. So it's Gavin, the right back. Mm-hmm. So there's a theme here of German fullbacks getting yep. forward and getting crosses in. Gavin gets the cross in and it ends up being just a contest between uh, Pop and uh, sorry the right back's name again Romelope. is Romelope and it's even got good position yep. she just doesn't have more than five feet to give Mm-mm. and so Pop just absolutely dominates in the air and, and manages to yeah. score this header and I say like it's it's a good sign for Germany because it's clear that they have identified that as a vulnerability slash opportunity yeah. and have put themselves in a position to capitalize upon it and they did and kind of do for the fourth goal as well yeah so it doesn't work out the same Mm-mm. way but Germany have a free kick from yep. the right crossing in Pop goes all the way to the left yep. and matches herself up against Romelo Pace. So, yeah. And then the ball um, is crossed in. I can't remember who crosses it. Uh, it's definitely aimed for Pop yes. to exploit that mismatch. It doesn't, it doesn't reach her by it, like... Yeah. Half a yard, mm-hmm. right? But luckily, right next to her is her, her number five, Hegering. the centre-back Hegering. Mm-hmm. She wins the header yep. in the air. It's a nice diving header uh, yes. that she puts on frame. Uh, goes off the post, and this is where I said, remember the kind of determined running of Germany because oh, yeah, yeah. Magul runs through. Magul, my favourite it. German player. Is she really? Drinking. Yeah. All right. But she also, ne- maybe maybe she should be because she never switches off. Well, some of the, the South African players are turning to kind of watch where the ball is going. Yeah. Some German players are doing it, the kind of up on their toes hop that you do when you think maybe your teammate scored. Mm-hmm. Magul is running through and ends up just kind of smashing this one in when it's on the line already. And if you watch this closely, you can even watch her change direction yep. as the ball moves. She's mm-hmm. always, she's like a like a heat-seeking missile. Like yeah. She knows exactly where it is and she's always adjusting so that it's no surprise when it ends up at her feet and yeah. she's able to smash home from close range. I do have some sympathy for uh, Van Vick, uh, the one you, the defender you mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, because she does track the header. She gets into position, it comes off the post and you can see her kind of turning to volley, but she also wants to make sure she's got right, like good positioning, she's squared yeah, up to yeah. it and turns around and Magul just knocks it into the net. You can see Van Vick sort of just could just cave a little bit <laughs> she just recognizes that's 4-0 that's probably it for us that re- for me this has been one of the themes of this World Cup mm-hmm. is the the really really good teams you can absolutely see the difference in reaction yep. time to any loose yep. ball and like the Germany's France and US type teams yeah. they're always there first a little bit yeah. a little bit it's like a, I guess it's just a professionalism thing mm-hmm. like if you have a bunch of professional minutes and you train all the time you're just sharper right yep. like over the course of your life not in a way that you can get sharp before a tournament but you're just generally mm-hmm. generally sharper i would agree with that all right you Germ- to- germany definitely sharp finishing top of their group yeah they sure do with nine points yeah. just like france mm-hmm. and a plus six goal difference just like france no goals conceded Woo! three clean sheets so far for germany Mm-hmm. How's about that? In second place, I gotta say though, I that's still that would make me wonder though because we've talked about Spain's difficulties in creating clear cut chances. South Africa obviously struggled to do the same. China even I think what they go through with one goal scored. They yeah they have one goal scored. Yeah, so I feel like it's one it's, four one against. I don't think it's I don't know if it's German Germany's like defense is super strong or they haven't yet come up against an opponent who is capable of scoring multiple goals. They haven't faced a strong attack, mm-hmm. though, right? So that'll be interesting yep. uh, when they do. Yep. So yeah, Germany top with nine points. Spain go through in second with just the four points: a win, a loss, and a draw, uh, but a goal difference of plus one. Third place is China, four points, zero goal difference. 
Bottom is South Africa, 0.7 goal difference. Mm-hmm. But China, we think, then definitely secure with the four points? I mean, it depends what happens in the other groups, right. right? There could be other teams uh, uh, get ahead of them. Mm-hmm. That said, if you scroll down, um, there's already... In Group E and Group F, yeah. if you scroll down, I'm on my iPad here. Uh-huh. If you go Group E and Group F, uh, Cameroon and New Zealand, third and fourth in Group E, have zero points, which mm-hmm. means they can't get any more than three. Yep. Right? They can't get to four. And Chile and Thailand, zero points, so they can't get to four. Yeah. So I think, yes, China are through. I think because so. Because if there's no way that uh, those teams can catch yeah. them up in third place. Yeah. So then I think what it comes down to is basically can... Either, like can New Zealand, as an example, or Cameroon, or even Chile, can they kind of cancel out the goal difference such that they can overtake Nigeria? If they do get a win, Nigeria, what, on negative two goal yeah, difference right now? Yeah. So it'll take some doing. But it's not impossible. And it will all unfold over the next couple days. Yes, sir. You ready for the match schedule? I am uh, indeed. Okay, so it's Monday evening right now as we're recording this, okay? On Tuesday, um, there's only one set of games, Yep. right? It's Italy-Brazil, it's Jamaica-Australia. I think that would be interesting because that group's kind of tied three ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on Wednesday, it's Japan-England, Scotland-Argentina. On Thursday, it's Netherlands-Canada, Cameroon-New Zealand, and it's also Group F, Sweden-United States, who finishes top, and Thailand-Chile. And then you get a day off on Friday. Then and you get a day off. group stage on Saturday. Yay. Yay. But then you've got three other tournaments happening. So, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can watch those, or you can just prepare for the knockout stages of the Women's World Cup. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up this hour and 25-minute show? No. That was definitely a leading question, right? Mm-hmm. Last Crusade is the best of the Indiana Jones franchise? Yeah, I sign off on that. All right. Yeah, definitely. Okay. 100%. Cool. Yeah. Because Red of the Lost Ark, not completely not racist. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Not completely. That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. I'm going to get out of here before a native tribe chases me out with blowguns on an airplane? Yeah, that's part of the problem, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, listeners, thank you for listening. And we will talk to you again twice tomorrow. Once for the Women's World Cup and then much later at night for the USA versus Yana in the Gold Cup.